Chatting with Sherry welcomes author Shirley Vernick. Here's Shirley. Hi, Shirley. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. Thanks so much for having me. Delighted to be here. Thank you. So how is everything in your end of the world? Things here in New England are good. We're having our last burst of warm sunny weather before it starts getting cold and windy and rainy. So I have all the windows open and uh, just enjoying it and, you know, letting the sunlight shine on my computer screen as I write and do other work. That's nice. Yeah, it's hot here, too. We're having the uh, late autumn, even though it's September. Yeah. A long, a long summer and a and a late fall. Mm-hmm. I I hope you're able to stay cool. Yeah, well, we have air conditioning, but I try to help the planet by not keeping it on all the time. Mm, right. Very considerate of you and generous. I I when we were in the green room, I was telling you my one of my favorite shows is My Life Is Murder, and one of the funny things is. The character that Lucy Wallace plays, Alexa, very big, just like Lucy Wallace is, on saving the planet. And uh. she gets very angry about air conditioning. About, like, um, she goes to a coffee shop and somebody goes through and leaves. Try to destroy the planet, close the door. <laughs> In my family, we call it being an earth killer, or EK for short. Leaving lights <laughs> on. Kate making it cooler or warmer than you really need, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I get a kick out of that. Um, uh, If uh, if you've never seen it, it's a really cute show. Highly recommend. Yeah, I definitely put it on my watch list. Well, as an enticement, if you're a fan... Renee O'Connor is going to be in at, in the last episode for the second season. Ah. It's the first time they acted together in like 20, 25 years. Wow. Well, if there are two seasons out, I get to binge watch then. Oh, yeah. It, they, the first season. Don't have to wait. Yeah. And the second season's about halfway through. Ah. Terrific. So by the time you get through all that... But get to the end, then you get to see Renee and Lucy together again. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah, I'm looking forward. Maybe to I'll that. save it for the colder weather ahead, which won't be that that long a wait. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's a cozy mystery. Mm-hmm. The first. 
season is in Australia in in Melbourne, and the second hmm. season is New Zealand in Auckland. Cool. I like different settings. I started watching. I I was just saying that I had started watching the Doctor Blake mysteries, which takes place in Australia in the 1950s. And just as I was really getting into it, it, it fell off of Netflix's roster. So I uh, definitely have space in my TV calendar for another uh, cozy mystery. Yeah, I like um like that. I like I like nice shows. I mean, it, it, it I know it, it I know somebody dies in it cuz it's a murder mystery. But right. um they, even if uh you see the uh, murder in the reenactment, it's not it's not bloody. It's uh, Yeah, not in your face in the way that some other shows might do it. Okay, I'm sold. Um, really enjoyable, and you get to see places that really I've never been. Um, in right. Their best, in the prettiest and their best. You know, it's like going to see somebody that you, a, a person that you want to meet, and you get to see them in their best, like that. Yeah. City. And and in their natural habitat, perfect. Um. So that's fun. Well, um, it's funny because um, I was in, I, I had seen Melbourne in settings of the 1920s and settings in mm. the 1950s on the Miss Fisher and Miss Fisher Modern, but I never mm-hmm. seen Miss Melbourne Modern like it is today, and that's what my life is murders for season it. Ah. Cool stuff. In Melbourne, all the changes and all how beautiful it is and stuff, and how quirky. Um, yeah, yeah, you've really watched the city evolve. Well, via um, the yeah, uh, <laughs> Well, fiction <laughs> is a great way to learn about the world. Man, director of photography. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know. It's like saying. You, you've seen L.A. a lot. You mean, I mean, I'm from L.A. And I always get mm-hmm. a kick out of the, you, you, they can have the same view, the same area, like Hollywood Boulevard, and have one show would be the dirty and dark and gritty Hollywood Boulevard, and the another show would be the sparkly, beautiful, premiering. Mm. Good point. So you're not getting a real full picture of a place yeah. when you watch one type of show about the city, even if there are several uh, different shows. And sometimes I think that even living in a city or an area, you don't necessarily see it all. You see, you know, sort of your well-worn path and the people you know, but there maybe or probably is a lot more going on just that doesn't really enter your orbit. Unless you seek it out. That's true. Um, it's funny because when we went back east, uh, we moved back east when I was uh, a, a teenager, well, a little girl and a teenager, because we moved to 
Midwest when I was a little girl, and then we were transferred to um, to New Jersey, well, New York, um, mm-hmm. when I was a teenager. So my dad was from Brooklyn. Ah. So of New York was, you know, get out of Brooklyn, go to Manhattan. And now and Brooklyn a, is the place to be. But even then, when he was taking us around, he hadn't seen some of those places. Very interesting. That must have been quite an eye-opener for him. I'm sorry? I said he had never been to some of them. Yeah, yeah. Because That's really like something. Mm-hmm. So it's like time oh. travel. Oh, I love time I, I know Me we too. can do sort of a time travel by, like, looking at pictures or old movies, but I don't know. I think movies about time travel are cool, like the time machine or time after time or somewhere in time. Those are all great. Right. Back to the future. <laughs> Back to the future. Yeah. And they're fun. Yes, yes. And they make you think about uh what would it be like for me or where would I choose to go or, you know, all kinds of, make all kinds of speculations and sort of go off yeah. into your own story if you want. Yeah, I wrote a time travel story and it's really, I was very strict on the rules. And, ah, and what that's you hard. Have to do is have people slightly break the rules, but not enough to change mm. time. But the worry that mm. they did. They could set that up. Yes, as long as you set it up from the beginning and then are consistent, you can essentially, you know, set the rules that you want to set. Yeah, I mean, the rules I read a are book there. not too long. I'm sorry. I was just going to say I read a book not too long ago, but the title is Escaping Me, about time travel is possible, but only if you sit at one table at one coffee shop in one city and you can time travel for as long as it takes you to drink your cup of coffee but you have to finish it before it gets cold and it was really cleverly done um, uh, despite how it may sound from my description of the of the premise so if it's handled right it's uh, you know can be great that, one of my favorites is that time travels all in the mind. That was in Somewhere in Time. Mm. You ever see that movie, Christopher? No. Jane Seymour? No, I didn't. There's something else I have to put on my list. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's a very, ro- if you're a romantic, mm-hmm. just, um, Christopher Reeves is in modern. New York at the beginning, and he, um, but he was he was brought up in Michigan, and he, um, and a strange old woman comes up to him and gives him this beautiful pocket watch and says, "Come back to me," mm. and that's the beginning of it. So the pocket watch is what allows him to time travel? Because he uses his mind to travel back to mm. Ah. It's, it's really beautiful. 
Yeah, that's quite a teaser you just gave me. I'm definitely going to look that up. A great author wrote that. Did you ever hear of Richard Matheson? No. Oh, I haven't. yeah. He, well, he wrote a lot of Twilight Zones. Um, oh. A lot of other, he wrote books, a lot of books. The book is actually called Bid Time Return, but they thought uh, the uh, producers thought Americans wouldn't understand bid means asking for time to return. So that's why they called it hmm. somewhere in Oh. Uh, I recently uh probably like when quarantine was when we were really on shutdown, I went to um the the two um pay for networks that I get which are Netflix and Amazon and I went back and watched the pilots of all my favorite old, old shows and when I got to Twilight Zone I had to watch several because that's one of my all-time favorite shows. Even though some of the episodes are really dorky and dumb, there are enough good ones and just the whole concept uh, to keep me going. I'm just a romantic. I like, there's one that's called Two. It's with Elizabeth Montgomery and Charlie Bronson. It's supposed to be the end of World War Three. And Elizabeth uh, mm. Montgomery doesn't say a word except in Russian. Ah. Huh? One uh, one word, which is basically pretty in Russian. The rest of it's all her face and her reaction. Wow. But it, it's just, it's a beautiful st- love story. Two people who are coming from violence learning to love. Mm. So they Twilight. didn't know each other at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. They hated each other. They were the enemies. Ah, was, I see. And the other was a Russian, and they just finished fighting this horrible war, uh, 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 um, ending the world war. Mm-hmm. And they were two survivors. Wow. I just the read early recently. characters, basically, I'm done with violence. I don't want anything to do with it. If you want to be violent, go away. Go somewhere else. Yeah. Anyway, it's really wow. That's like one of my favorites. I recently read a an interview with Rod Serling where he really wanted to do a show that takes place sort of in the here and now real world and address certain issues like class difference and war and oppression and the networks and and really the advertisers nixed it. So he came up with the idea of placing it in the there and then, and then he was allowed to um, address these issues, you know, on another planet or in a different age or under a different kind of governmental regime. So that's how it got its birth, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, Rod was the influencer, if you think about it. I mean, Gene Roddenberry mm-hmm. did that with uh, Star Trek. Um, he said he could uh, he could drive the censors crazy by putting all this really intelligent content in the story, but have the girls and the guys, like the guys who are shirtless and the girls are wear- dressed scantily. <laughs> and that's what they were worried about, and they never really bothered them about content. Wow. 
that speaks volumes. I know. They were so worried about uh, Kirk wearing a, a, a shirt, uh, not wearing a shirt, or um, or uh, or Sulu being without a shirt and being sweaty, that they're not really realizing what the storyline is about. Or yeah, the, amazing. Or really uh, a dress that showed almost all her body parts, but nothing was really showing. You know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Very clever. That is. But that, I think he was influenced by Rod and his, his, um, you know, getting around the fence. His approach and philosophy, yeah. And strategy. Smart. Yeah. Anything to get away from moralistic. Yeah. <laughs> well, not moralistic. It's not morals. It's it's trying to tell people that they have to think in a certain way. I can't think of the word of it. Oh, uh, there's probably a really good German word for it too. I can't think of it. You'll have to but, post um, it on your site when you do. <laughs> but yeah, that's one of the things I find interesting. Mhm. Sort of the backstories to the stories, and the I real life backstories to the stories. I'm weird. When I get a DVD, I have to look at the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all the interviews, all the articles, all the behind the oh. scenes. That's not weird. That's, uh, you know, curious, and uh, you know that there's a lot of not only information but entertainment value in, in that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I also just like to hear the maker's of the shows talking about it, whether right. they're actors, producers, writers, producers. Yeah, and nowadays, you know, we're 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 kind of desensitized to special effects, and I don't mean necessarily Star Wars special effects. I just mean, you know, the cinematography effects that are created, and we tend to think that oh, they just pushed one button and and made that happen. Where when really, it's some of these things are creating wheels for the first time and, you know, confronting all kinds of obstacles and difficulties. So that's, that's what I'd like to hear about. Yeah, like the movie, was it 1918, where it was like one day it was a continual shot? Oh, uh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but yes, that was some very complicated editing work. And shooting. And acting, because they never right, stopped. Right, right, right. Can't imagine. But they didn't want it to be all in the editor. They wanted it to be in the camera. That's what stuff. director's point. And, and things like that fascinate me. Or mm-hmm. uh, he did um, Gosford Park and Nash. Mm. But he's he was he he's gone now. But he was a very innovative director. I mean, he didn't do one side of a like when he did Gusford Park, he didn't do one side of the table. He did the whole table, all mm. the time. Things like that. And, and I'm sure that today's directors and producers are standing on his shoulders and that of others like him. Yeah. Well, MASH was very innovative, the original movie. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Well, so it was a TV show. They were very, they, in some ways, they were very different. Match the movie, match the TV show. Oh yeah, yeah, and and the TV show was such a phenomenon. I mean, everybody stopped what they were doing at on Thursdays at eight or eight thirty or whatever time it was to watch it, and then everybody talked about it the next day. It's really funny because um, I think it was Alan Alda who was talking about it. and No, I read about it in this book. He said that after the, move, after the, the uh, movie came, um, you know, the two-hour ending of, of MASH, mm-hmm. uh, they were going out to dinner, the group. And the streets of L.A. were dead. There was no one out there. Oh, They're all looking at each that's other. That's amazing. Quiet. What's going on? They were and all watching it. Very slowly, they realized they're watching a movie. Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. That doesn't happen today because there's too many choices. No, no. There are too many <laughs> options to watch, and nobody has to watch it at the same time. Yeah. That's that's the thing, the the community part, you know, the community part of television is gone. Because people DVR it. Right. I mean, there are forums where people can chat about it, but it's not the same thing. No. Yeah. And, I mean... What was it they said um, when I Love Lucy was on the water pressure for all the cities that it was on, which was all of America, went down, and when there was a commercial break, all of a sudden the water pressure went up and everybody ran to the bathroom. Wow. Those were the days. Yep. I mean, it's just, it, you think about it. It, I think, I guess until the VCR came along, it was like that, you know. Right. You either I mean, saw the Grinch, I, you either saw your special once a year, or you missed it. Show. The witch show? Mary Tyler Moore? Yeah, yeah. When I was older, was before the series, I was about 16, 15 or 16, I would uh, schedule my date around, I think it was Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart, so the date would have to be after Bob Newhart. <laughs> That's a little bit of late night dating for a 16-year-old. Yeah, but it was on a Saturday night. Okay. That's true. There was a big lineup. So it was okay. I was, because um, it was like, I think it was done by, I think it was 9 So we would go get pizza or go see a movie and then come home. Nice. Nice. But yeah, I, uh, you, you couldn't, you, you, there was no way to watch it again until the summer reruns. Right. So you either watched it then or you didn't see it. Yeah. Wizard of Oz. Yep. All those, you know. Yep. All those. Oh, the perennial. Yeah. Yeah. 
like, um, uh, it's a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. Or um, the Ten Commandments. There's certain movies they show every year, Sound of Music. Right. I mean, you grew up thinking that this was normal because every year these same shows would be on. Yeah. And then it stopped. Well, they, I think they still are on, but, um, you know, now that there are so many stations, they're on many, many times. And, yeah, you can, and, you know, besides that, you have access to it all the time. Yeah, so nowadays it's, it's just different downloaded ballgame. off of one of the, um, the uh, streaming channels or something, you know. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That's what I meant, the community thing. Yes. Right. And just knowing that you could go back to your, whether it was your school or your office, and yeah. You know. Talk to people about what happened in that episode. What? Did you see that show? Yeah. And now if it's a show that I really like, I can't wait, and they're only dropping one episode at a time, I can't wait. I have to wait till the season's over and then watch the whole thing in a weekend. (laughs) That's that's how instant gratification oriented I am with that. I mean, we're so spoiled now. Yeah. Because that's what we're like. Actually, I kind of like that they drop. they, They start on Acorn, they start with two episodes. And then it's one episode a week. I kind of like that. It gives you that sense of a series. Yeah, and just something new coming, something to look forward to. Yeah, I get that. I I I understand that people get like, yeah, I go through that, but for shows that have been on, like I um, I came into Midsummer through PBS. And mm. um, and for a long time, they only stuck to the first 13 seasons. And I love John Nettles, so I had no problem with it. But I kind of mm-hmm. got you know, curious about the new stuff that has been going for a long time that I never saw. So I have to admit, mm-hmm. I binged it when I finally had access to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, some of this stuff is, is, uh, you know, what did I do before this? What did I do before we had this? You had <laughs> kind to wait of stuff when it works week. for you. You missed it, yeah, and you had to wait and hope that that yeah. on during summer uh, repeats. Yeah. Because it wasn't always. Not, they selected their summer repeats, so sometimes, the episode you really wanted to see wasn't there. Yeah, you just couldn't. Yeah. Which actually makes sense because they were also doing pilots and stuff for the fall season. Mm-hmm. So they had to put new stuff in as well as the summer repeat, so they couldn't show everything. Right. See, I'm talking yeah, gibberish then. people who have never seen pilot season. You know, I I fun. I really like pilots because I could be all wrong about this, but it seems like 
that they put their best foot forward. Um, I mentioned to you earlier that I recently went back and watched the pilots of some of my favorite old shows. And one of them that I watched, and I had no memory of watching it when it was new, was the pilot of Green Acres, and which is, you know, kind of a dorky show. The pilot was so clever. It was done in the form of like a, a news story um, being covered on the radio. Their, um, the couples move from the pen, you know, the Manhattan penthouse out, out to the farm in the country. It was just very clever. I actually don't even remember the pilot of the Green Acres. I watched it when I was a little girl, but I don't yeah. remember the Yeah. Maybe that was one we both missed or just didn't remember or hadn't started watching yet. Yeah. Also, did you know that Love American Style, the TV series, was a pilot show? They just stuck all the stuff that they wanted to see if any of them will fly, and they put it in no. Love American Style. So it was like no kidding. segments. So it's like three pilots in the 15 minutes. That One of them was Happy Days. I did not know that. It makes perfect sense now that you say it. I, it's really funny if you think about it. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Also, how um, people got their shows, there was this thing called Variety, and today Variety is not Variety, not in my book. Variety is like Carol Burnett's show, Sunny and Cher. Yeah. What do they call, what do they call Variety now? (laughs) Award shows in reality television. Oh. Not variety. Yeah. Variety shows a book. variety of talent. That's what it is. Right. You know, goes all the way variety back to talent old. and people. Yeah. Right. I didn't watch it, but I've seen bits of it. Uh, the old Ed Sullivan show was a variety show. Right. Your show of right. shows again. I see it, but I've seen bits of it. Your show of shows. Yeah. Was one of the greatest variety shows. Yeah. Uh, it was. To me, it's this is the way it was. It was your show shows, and then Rowan Martin's laughing, and then Saturday Night Live. They're all kind of connected to each other. Yeah, yeah. I also I loved um, Carol Burnett's show. Oh, I I adored Carol Burnett. I actually wrote to her when I was a little girl. Oh. I wrote to Carol. Carol always answered her mail. Herself. I didn't know that. But she did. And I wrote a letter, and I never heard back. After a whole year, I was, like, crying. I don't, what did I do So my mom, my mom wrote a letter to her. And I got, that's the one I got an answer to. So I got a letter from Carol Burnett talking about my mother and inviting me to come see the show. <gasps> Did you? No, I was too young. Ah, uh, that yeah, is have like a case At that time, to get into a live audience. And uh, I was only 12. Oh. Uh, I couldn't go. Um, Good and for by your the mom. Time I was, uh, 16... Uh, I think the show, it was still going on, but it was really hard to get tickets because it was towards yeah, the end of the Yeah, yeah. It was 
yeah. end of the series. Yeah. And the tickets were like gold because everybody wanted to see yeah. Carol at the end of their, her yeah. tenure. Yeah. Right? yeah. What a great story. Yeah. I still have the letter. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've definitely an heirloom. So, yeah. I thought that if he goes, well, sometimes youngsters forget to put in self-addressed stamps on the books or putting stamps on the self-addressed stamps. <laughs> oh, yes, the day of envelopes. <laughs> or sometimes they forget to put stamps on the envelope. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I didn't do that. I put a stamp on the envelope. I may have forgotten to put a stamp on the self-addressed stamp envelope. That's mm. entirely possible. But that... Uh, <laughs> not the actual envelope. My father would never mail something without a stamp on, and he was the one always right. to mail out. But I thought, yeah, I, that's part, one of the parts of the letters that get in my head, too. Oh. Anyway, it's really sweet. I love that story. Um, I'm going to switch gears. Um, I'd like to ask you uh, about your writing. Um, how, when did you start writing? You know, I am one of those people who always knew she wanted to be a writer and was always writing. In fact, I was writing before I knew how to write. I used to take a crayon or a pencil and scribble, you know, gibberish on a piece of paper when I was, you know, before school age and hand it to my mother. And genius that she was, she would read off to me the eloquent prose and beautiful poetry that I had just created. And I thought, wow, if I can do this before I can even make my letters, imagine what will happen, you know, once I once I can. And I just always really enjoyed creating with words. Um, my first professional publication experience was when I was – in high school, I was 16, and I submitted a quip to Reader's Digest to their column toward more picturesque speech, and it was a, an original pun, and it was a question, is a belly dancer a waste of energy? Waste spelled like the body part, W-A-I-S-T, and I got paid $35. So I continued cool. writing, but honestly, I was afraid to make that my career goal, assuming that I would not be able to pay my rent. So I didn't study it in school. My first jobs were writing, but they were like corporate writing and marketing writing. And then finally, when I felt ready to take the plunge, to what I had always wanted to write, which was a novel, um, that happened um, probably started in the late 2000s, and and my first book came out in 2011. Um, so I've had three novels out, and two more are coming out next year, and I've also done a few um, like baby board books. Um, but my real love is the novel for young readers, like middle grade and young adult. And um, what's your latest one about? My 
latest book, which is coming out in February, is called Ripped Away. And it's for like upper, middle grade, early young adult, like readers like 11 to 16. And it's actually, we were talking about this earlier, it's actually a time travel story where two friends, a boy and a girl, um, get sent back in time by a fortune teller and they end up in the tenements of East London at the time of the Jack the Ripper spree. Uh, when uh, coinciding with that was an outpouring of xenophobic anti-Semitism um, because many people thought, assumed, suspected that Jack the Ripper was Jewish and that the Jewish community in London, which was sizable, because of the uh, emigration of um, Jewish people out of Eastern Europe to escape pogroms and other forms of oppression. So there was a sizable Jewish population. They thought that the Jewish community of London was also harboring and protecting whoever Jack the Ripper was. So these two characters who find themselves in Jewish families have to do two things. They have to survive that outpouring of anti-Semitism and in order to get back to the 21st century in their, you know, where they belong, they have to uh, figure out the meaning of a vague prophecy that the fortune teller had made before she sent them back in time, which was that they needed to save a life. Don't know whose life. Somebody's life needs saving. So that's uh, the story. It's based on true events with you know Jack the Ripper and the specific murders and the anti-Semitism and the inquest um, and things like that. And it's all set within this sort of science fiction or fantasy um, construct of the time travel. And I'm hoping that with this book, uh, it will spark readers to think and also talk about intolerance and possible responses to it um, and to think about how we have some, uh, actually many, occurrences in, in modern times right here that are not that different from the uh, what happened in London during Victorian times. That's true. Um, and, uh, I mean, look at what happened during uh, the beginning of uh, the COVID virus. Um, people yes. were doing terrible things. Right. Um, That's absolutely right. When, uh, it, you said this is already out, right? No, it's being released on February 8th of 2022. It's available for pre-order um, on Amazon um, and the publisher Regal House Publishing website, but the official release is uh, February 8th of next year. Um, we're coming to the end, so um, what is your, um, what kind of uh, so social media are you on? Are you on, um, can you give your handles on social media? Yes. 
I am uh, actively on Twitter, which is at Shirley Vernick, Vernick with a V like Victor, E-R-N-I-C-K. Um, I have begun being active on Instagram, but I'm, I'm still really sort of uh, just learning the ins and outs of it. I have a Facebook page. My author Facebook page is my full name, Shirley Riva Vernick. And I also post book-related stuff on my personal page, which is Shirley Vernick. And finally, my author website is Shirley Riva, R-E-V-A, Vernick.com, where there's lots of information about my books and, and trailers. And I also have trailers on YouTube. So, yeah, I'm learning my way around social media. Good. Yeah, once you get into Instagram, you kind of get hooked. <laughs> I'm uh, revealing my lack of technical savvy, yeah. Me too. I, I'm not that great technically. I rely on others for that. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I want to thank you for taking time out to come on my show. Oh, thank you so much, Sherry. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. And thank you for chatting with Sherry.